Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. We come from a long heritage of faith communities that teach that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm Margaret Borden, your lay leader this morning. Our opening words this morning are from Daniel Cantor. Today we begin the walk to Jerusalem, the Holy Week. The demand that we face the darkness, the broken path, the abuse of power. Today we walk toward the day spring breaking through, the Easter day of joy. So let us prepare the way. Let us join together this morning in worship to see what holiness resides within and about us, to welcome in the day and make straight the path for the work of God. Let us worship together. People wonder what holds Unitarian Universalist congregations together in the absence of a creed or a list of things we must believe. One of the things that holds us together is that we affirm and promote our principles. Another thing is that we draw strength from our six sources. Um, One of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission statement, which it wrote years ago and wrote on the wall. We say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today, our Christian brothers and sisters are celebrating Palm Sunday. I don't know how many of you all used to go to Christian churches and make little crosses out of palm fronds and hear the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, but that's what we're going to talk about today, but first I need to talk to you a little bit about how we read a scripture, whether it's a Christian scripture, a Hebrew scripture, a Hindu scripture, a Muslim scripture, you try to read a scripture to figure out um, not what you want it to mean, but what did it mean to the people who wrote it? What did it mean then? And why did they put in the things that they put in? There are always choices that the writer is making. And so today we have a story which is unusual in the fact that it's in all four Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to pretend that y'all don't know anything. So um, I apologize if that's an insult. Um, But some people don't know anything. 
Mark was the first gospel that was written. And um, they weren't written by the people whose names are on the gospel. It was a tradition at that time, probably, it was a tradition at that time to put someone's name you admired on a piece of writing, or you were in the school of this person, so you put that name on your writing. And so the Gospel of Mark is the first one, and you can tell um, how the Christology evolves. Christology is, here's how we look at who Rabbi Jesus is. That's Christology. How, the study of how much he was Jesus, which is the human name, and how much he was Christ, which is the divine name. So Mark has the lowest Christology, i.e. he was mostly Jesus, just Rabbi Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to tell you the story from Mark, and then I'm going to tell you what the, what the other Gospel writers added. Now, Mark has a source. Mark and Matthew and Luke are called the synoptic gospel. Synoptic has the, the front part of the word is syn, like synthesize, which means the same, and optic is to see. So synoptic means they see from the same point of view. And the point of view is from that source, which biblical scholars just call Q. Nobody uh, really knows who Q was, but apparently these three, the people who wrote these three first Gospels had this source that they all drew from because most of their stories read very similarly. John is another animal unto itself. So here's the story from Mark. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphaga and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent, the Mount of Olives is the important part, Jesus sent Two of them on ahead. Go to that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, sure enough, some bystander, didn't say sure enough, sorry, that was North Carolina. Um, <laughs> As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the field. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with his 12 disciples. So that's Mark. He just tells the story pretty straight. And he puts in these details. A lot of the story is about this colt that was tied up and had never been ridden. And if we're reading it from our perspective, we think, what in the world? Uh, why is this an important part of the story? And it's important because it fulfills prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures that Messiah, the one they were waiting for, Messiah is going to come riding into Jerusalem on, the, on a colt. And so everybody who read that first gospel account would have been... Uh, steeped in the prophecy 
of who Messiah was. And so starting at the Mount of Olives, which is a, a significant place for Messiah to come back to, then riding on a colt, riding into Jerusalem, all of these things would have been bing, bing, bing in people's mind of, oh, this guy is telling us that Rabbi Jesus is Messiah, just from that story. Now, Matthew wrote a little bit later on, and so he, he underscores the prophecies because he's writing to a world that is more and more and more Roman. The Roman Empire had spread out. The Romans were in charge of Jerusalem when Jesus was there and when Mark wrote his gospel uh, 40 or 50 years later. And so um, everybody knew about the Roman Empire. Uh, they were an occupied country. And Jesus had been troubling to the authorities, religious authorities and the Roman authorities, the political authorities. This Rabbi Jesus guy had been troubling to both sets of authorities. And so uh, the Romans did not um, immediately crush people who were troubling, but you didn't want to push them too far. So anyway, Matthew is telling the story, and he says the same thing about the cult. Go bring the cult. And then he doesn't tell the whole story. It just says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he quotes the prophet Zechariah and says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. See, okay, in this story, he says, go to the, he has Jesus say, Go to the town, and you're going to find a donkey there and her colt tied up beside her. So both a donkey and a colt in Matthew because he's quoting this prophecy right after that, saying the king will come riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. Now, can you ride two donkeys with one butt? No. But you have to fulfill the prophecy. So Bible scholars since the 1100s have been arguing about how he could have ridden the donkey and the foal at the same time. Um, but people, this is a metaphor, metaphor, not, not a police blotter history. Um, and then the same thing. Uh, the, the crowd put their cloaks on the donkey and the foal of the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and they cut branches and they said the same thing. Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, and then it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, see, Matthew doesn't want you to have any questions in your head. This was done to fulfill this prophecy, quote, and then people said, who is this? Some other more artful writer would have left it as that question, but he goes, no, no, no. Um, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, now Luke tells the same story. Um, and he has his disciples go to the town and get the donkey. And um, it's just one colt in the Luke story. And Luke tells it pretty much the same way that Mark tells it, except Luke has the religious authorities in this story. 
So when the crowd is yelling Hosanna and waving their branches and putting them on the road in front of Jesus, um, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, it says, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, because the disciples were saying, blessed are you who come in the name of God. And the Pharisees were offended by that, because nobody is supposed to claim to be Messiah who's not Messiah. And the Pharisees, the religious authorities, were pretty sure Jesus was not Messiah. And so they were like, your disciples have lost control. And then Jesus says to them, I tell you, or Luke says Jesus said to them, um, which is an important distinction, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And he adds this whole piece. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. All right, so the Romans, in fact, did crush Jerusalem in the year 70, which was um, very close to when this was written. So they took the temple and just razed it to the ground. They, they put um, a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the Holy of Holies, which was complete pollution and abomination for the Jewish people to have the Holy of Holies where they kept the Ark of the Covenant um, to have the ark taken and the and the statue of Zeus put there. And you know, the ark wasn't found till Indiana Jones found it. <laughs> George Lucas and the Bible are like this. Did he do Indiana Jones? Now I'm now I'm confused. Spielberg, thank you. Spielberg and Lucas are like this in my mind. Anyway, so he has Jesus prophesy this thing, which has already happened when the, when the gospel is written, that it's a punishment for them not accepting him as Messiah. So this is the gospel writer's own interpretation of, of what happened. Now John... Uh, has a very short story about this. Um, he says, the next day a great multitude had come to the feast, which was Passover, so a bunch of pilgrims were there in Jerusalem. When they heard that Jesus was coming, and they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So he quotes Zechariah, it's just a donkey's colt, it's not a donkey and the foal of a donkey. Um, but his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So, all right, so John is not interested in this entry into Jerusalem because John's Christology is so high that Jesus was the Christ all along. John starts out with this whole hymn to the Word of God. I don't know if you remember, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was not anything made which was not made through him. 
And really, it's a whole, uh, it's a quotation of a poem about Sophia, the wisdom of God, that is in some Jewish scriptures, but not the ones that are in the Bible. And so John was trying to say to people by quoting this poem at the beginning, Jesus is the Sophia of God, the wisdom of God. He's, he's part of God in this way. So from the very beginning, John's talking about how Jesus was part of creation, not Rabbi Jesus at all. So why did John not like this entry into Jerusalem? Number one, because this entry into Jerusalem story is like Jesus does opposite day. They, they wanted him to be the king. They wanted him to overthrow the Romans and make them safe again and end the occupation, which had been so onerous. But Jesus was not a military leader like the one they wanted. They kept thinking he was going to sort of transform and become this ninja, you know, um, Optimus Prime, <laughs> take care of the Romans. And um, he just never did. And they kept waiting. They were like, come on, Jesus, it's the last minute. Time to transform into the ninja warrior king. But he just never did. And um, a ninja warrior king would have, in Roman style, come into town on a horse, a great big muscly prancing horse, and Jesus came in on the foal of a donkey that had never been ridden before, and some commentators like from the 1800s are like, this is amazing, this, this colt never been ridden before would have bucked anybody else off, but Jesus was able to ride it. Uh, I remember we had big arguments in um, college, in the College Christian Association about, could Jesus have spoken Spanish if he wanted to? Did he, like, know everything? Um, so anyway, these commentators are like, you know, this, this foal of a donkey was like the wind and the waves calming when Jesus said, calm down, and that this foal didn't buck or anything. That, um, but other commentators say, and, you know, commentators are ones who look at the Bible passages with a scholar's eye. They read the Hebrew, they read the Greek, and they try to figure out what it meant at the time. But your own preconceptions get in the way when you're commenting on a scripture. You just can't help it. You're blind to your own blind spots. And so uh, the commentators say, you know, either he rode this colt just to show that he could calm a bucking colt, or he rode this colt because it was the lowest of the low, farthest away from a triumphal king's horse that he could get, just to show that he was not that kind of king. Um, and others say, no, he just did it to fulfill the prophecies that were in the Jewish scriptures about how Messiah is going to come riding in on a colt because Messiah is the prince of peace, not a war king. But people have their expectations, don't we? And they, they have what they want to have happen. And when you even get close to what somebody's expectations are, they just kind of see what they want to see. And then they get really disappointed when it doesn't go the way that the picture is in their mind. And so um, that's what happened on this day. Jesus, what he was doing was he was walking toward his death. He's walking into, as Daniel Cantor's words say, he's walking into Holy Week, the week of the Passion. And this week, the Gospel writers put in such interesting stories as if they had happened this week. Um, there's the cursing of the fig tree because the figs 
uh, the fig tree didn't have any figs on it, and Jesus curses the fig tree, and you know, even though Bethphaga, uh, the town that they were really near, means the town of the the house of the unripe figs. And so, I don't know, there's expectations again, I don't know. And then, then when Jesus goes to the temple and he gets mad at the money changers and people who have made the religion into this commercial enterprise, and he turns over the tables and he takes a whip and he just drives the money changers out, he's letting his anger show this week. So he's coming in as this humble prince of peace, and then he starts cursing fig trees and throwing people out of the temple, and, um, and the crowds are adoring him when he acts like a king, even a, a peaceful king. They see what they want to see, but by the end of this week, the crowds are going to have pitchforks and tor- torches. The crowds come after him um, because he completely has not fulfilled their expectations. Now, okay, how do we, how do we understand this? Um, I think you can understand it as a story of courage and uh, letting go of fear. Joseph Campbell, as you know, has a long explanation of the hero's journey. And part of the journey of the soul, as described by Joseph Campbell and other people, is that point where you go, okay, this is going to happen to me. I can either run away from it, like Jonah, another metaphor. In the, in the Hebrew scriptures, Jonah was supposed to go to the town of Nineveh um, and prophesy, which nobody likes a prophet because they're irritating and they say things you don't want to hear. Um, so he was supposed to go to this town and he was going to get in a lot of trouble. And he's like, no, thank you. don't want to do that. So he gets swallowed up by a whale. So that metaphor says when you don't do what you're, what you're supposed to do with your life, you have to spend time in this place of, of this holding cell. You have to spend time in this place where you can't really see very well and you're scared and, you, and you're not doing what you are, should be doing and there's uh, whale stomach stuff sloshing all around you and uh, it's quite unpleasant. So you might as well just get ready to do what you're supposed to do. So... So there's a kind of parallel here. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, not like Jonah, opposite of Jonah. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to disappoint all his followers, which is a terrible feeling. He knows he's not turning into a ninja lizard king. He's just going to be this gentle guy uh, who gets mad now and then at the right stuff and gets killed. Um... So he claims his authority by cursing the fig tree, by throwing people out of the the temple. He's got a lot of authority, and then he gives it up. He lets go of it all and walks toward his own death, which happens Good Friday. Um, Joseph Campbell says, uh, The individual, through prolonged psychological disciplines, gives up completely all attachment to his personal limitations, idiosyncrasies, hopes, and fears, no longer resists the self-annihilation that is prerequisite to rebirth in the realization of truth, and so becomes ripe at last for the great at one 
He no longer tries to live, but willingly relaxes to whatever may come to pass in him. So this is the stage of the journey, of the soul's journey where Jesus is. There's another parallel in uh, um, Assyrian mythology where the goddess Ishtar goes down to the underworld and she gets stripped away. You know, at the first gate she has to give up her earrings and at the second gate she gives up her gold belt and at the third gate she gives up her crown and she's, she's asked to give up things until finally at the bottom she's hanging on a meat hook for three days, parallel. Um, so Jesus is being stripped of everything willingly. He's going down. Uh, a lot of religious symbols are the spiral, you know, and uh, another religious symbol, the labyrinth, where you go down into the center. This is a, a very ancient spiritual pattern. You go down into the center where you die, and then you come back out again, back into life, but you're different. So this is a story of that, of courage, of defying expectations. Christianity, the stories were originally be for the disenfranchised and the powerless. The Roman Empire despised Christianity and called it a religion for slaves and women. And then they ruined it by making it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so now we have this Romanized, triumphant Christianity where you're victorious over your enemies and you pass religious freedom bills that let people in Indiana and discriminate against gay people if they want to, and this is not the Christianity of Jesus. I'm just saying. That is the ruined Roman triumphal Christianity. And so, my friends, on this Palm Sunday, let's remember the gentle oh, Prince of Peace. Will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I'm going to let nobody turn me round, turn me round. Turn me round, ain't gonna let nobody turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, march into the freedom land. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.